Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. All right, here we go. We are at Jonah chapter 1, verses 7 to 17. We are starting a little bit into the story. A big storm has come up and the sailors are very afraid. The sailors said to one another, come, let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what are the people that you are from? I am a Hebrew, Jonah replied. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid of him and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. And then they cried out to the Lord, please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading comes to us from Jonah, chapter 3, verses 10, through chapter 4, verse 5. When God saw what they did, and by this it was the city of Nineveh turning from their evil ways, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishment. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The word of the Lord. 
All right, so for my last few sermons, I've talked a lot about Star Wars and Batman, and I've decided to give you all a break. I mean, I still love both of those things very much, but if I continue down my current trajectory, I feel like I'm gonna make you guys hate it. Every time you're trying to enjoy one of the movies, you'll just hear my voice in the background going, this is about God and theology, and no one wants that. So I decided to talk about the opposite of my heroes today. Well, not the exact opposite, I guess that would be villains, but the antithesis of anti-heroes. We're gonna talk about anti-heroes today. Now for those of you who missed it in English class or might have forgotten, an anti-hero is a protagonist who lacks the traditional traits of a hero, qualities such as trustworthiness, courage, honesty, now I know it's early, both in the morning and in my sermon, but I'm going to ask for a little participation right now. Since I just reminded you what an anti-hero is, can any of you think of any anti-heroes? You can go ahead and shout them out if you think of any. This is about the level of uh, participation I got before as well. James, you have one. The Punisher, yeah, that's a great one. No one else that didn't break the ice for you guys? All right, well, I'll give you, I figured this would happen, so I'll give you my list. Dirty Harry, Captain Jack Sparrow, Don Draper, Tony Soprano, Walter White, Tyrion Lannister, and Han Solo. It's the only Star Wars reference, I promise. That was slipped in, it just slipped in. Some of these are arguably from huge films or shows. The Pirates of the Caribbean was a trilogy. Now it's like a sevenology. I don't know how many there are. Uh, Mad Men, The Sopranos, Game of Thrones, and Breaking Bad were huge, huge shows in the last 10 years. People love a good anti-hero. I think what draws us to the anti-hero more than the hero is that we can see ourselves in the anti-hero. Antiheroes are flawed. They're morally complex. They make us hope that they're going to do the right thing so that they redeem themselves. We get invested in their stories and their choices because their choices have more gray in them than the binary black and white choices of Superman. I was actually reminded of this on my trip to Montreat this summer with a passel of high school youth. One evening during worship, the pastor recounted the story of Jonah, which, if I'm honest, there isn't much of, and yet I still didn't remember the whole thing. Jonah is a wonderful anti-hero in the Bible. There are so many points of the story which I resonate with Jonah. So let me recount the story for you now, in case there is someone out there like me who remembers there's a big fish, and that's about it. Jonah gets a word from the Lord to go preach to Nineveh, and we're told that Nineveh is a large city, and their wickedness has come before the Lord. So Jonah, our anti-hero, basically goes, mm-hmm, yeah, okay, yeah, bye, and runs away. He gets on a ship to go far away and goes into the hold and falls asleep. A huge storm comes up, and the sailors try everything that they can think of to get rid of the storm. They all pray to their separate go gods. They unload the cargo to lighten themselves. 
Finally, they wake Jonah up and say, you need to pray too. We got to fix this. Jonah then says that the storm is his fault and that the sailors should throw him overboard. And after a little resistance, they do. Now here's the part of the story everyone remembers. Then God provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah stayed in the fish for three days and three nights. After that, the fish spat Jonah onto the beach, and God again said to preach to Nineveh. And this time, Jonah did. But that's not the end of the story. When Jonah preached in Nineveh, he said that Nineveh would be overthrown, and, that the, and then we are told that immediately the people changed their ways. They proclaimed a fast, they put on sackcloth, the king removed his royal robe and sat in ashes. But more importantly, the king made a decree that everyone turn from their evil ways and stop being violent. And when God saw that, God had mercy on them and didn't cause calamity upon the city. But that's not where the story ends either. Seeing this, Jonah gets mad. You see, Jonah, Jonah buried the lead about why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He says to God, essentially, I knew that you were a big, softy, loving, compassionate God, that you would forgive them. That's why I didn't want to come here. I'm so mad, I want to die. Jonah actually said that three times to God. I'm so mad, I want to die. What a drama queen. <laughs> God then goes all teaching moment on Jonah and says, why shouldn't I be concerned for Nineveh? It has more than 120,000 people in it, and most of them don't know a better way to live. Essentially saying, why should all of them perish because of ignorance? And that is where the story ends. Now, when I heard this story again, I loved the character of Jonah. He reminded me of a teenager in a lot of ways. No offense to any teenagers in the crowd. He was deliberately disobedient, bullheaded, hard on himself, and overly dramatic. Does that sound like anyone you might know? And there are times when I have seen my own story in the story of Jonah. There have been times when I felt called to do something or go somewhere and I didn't want to because I knew that it would lead to X, Y, or Z and I really didn't want to deal with that. There have been times when I've been in a storm and I've completely blamed myself for it. There have been times when I felt like I was in the belly of a fish and being punished by God. There have been times when I preached truth to power or teach those who didn't know. And there have been times when I was mad at God for being so loving and merciful that even those people, whoever those people are, probably U of M fans, are included. <laughs> so on the surface level, we can ask ourselves, where are we in the story of Jonah right now? And how does the rest of the story inform us? Perhaps you are feeling a call to something new, a tug on your heart to venture where you don't want to go. I feel this in large and small ways all the time. This can be as small as saying hi to someone at the gym because I know that if I say hi, they'll want to chat and talk and talk, and I just want to get in, lift heavy things, and get out. Or it can be as big as a career path or a college decision. 
It's scary. Jonah was called to Nineveh, a huge city known for being violent. That's a little bit scary if you ask me. Change is scary, following those tugs, those callings, and not really knowing what comes next can be downright petrifying. Maybe you feel like you're in the middle of a storm. Your ship is being battered. The wind and the waves are rising higher and higher. And when people see the storm that you are in, they ask, why is this happening? You blame yourself. You say, I brought this upon myself and upon you. It is because of me that this is happening. But what's interesting to me is that this comes from the mouth of Jonah. God never says, I'm punishing you, Jonah. You've caused this storm. Jonah takes it on himself. We have a tendency to do this as humans. We are always harder on ourselves than others are, and we are especially harder on ourselves than God ever is. We blame ourselves for things out of our control. We tell groups that they are better without us and that they should throw us overboard, and even if they resist, we insist. So eventually they do. And then we are out to sea, alone, finally in the place that we feel we deserve. But God says, no, that is not where you belong. That is not what you deserve. Now, in remembering the story of Jonah, I always saw the giant fish as a punishment. I mean, I hate fish, and so being inside of one for any amount of time seems like an obvious punishment to me. I always thought that because Jonah ran away, God was like, nope, you're going to do what I want you to do, eat him, fish. But what I actually learned this time is that it was a mercy in the story. God could have let Jonah drown or float around until he was actually eaten by a shark or any number of things. But the text says that God provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah. God provided. That's not the phrasing of a punishment. No one says, I am providing you with a grounding. God provided the fish as a way out of the situation that Jonah had put himself into. This part of the story is meant to show God's endless grace and love. I can just imagine God in the story watching Jonah and thinking, no, not that way. Oh, don't do that. Don't tell them to throw you overboard. Oh, little guy, here, let me help you. So when Jonah is swallowed by the big fish, it's actually God saving Jonah. God has provided safe passage from a raging sea, from pirates and sharks and whatever else may be in that sea. Sometimes, just sometimes, we need to zoom out of our little point of views and see that being in the belly of a big fish, as gross as that may sound, isn't the punishment that we think it is but instead may be some sort of blessing. The last surface level lesson that we uh, can get from Jonah is that sometimes we need to preach truth to power, no matter what we think the consequences may be. Jonah was going to a city known for violence, a city known for its debauchery, and probably not known for being too kind to strangers, especially strangers who speak out against the city. 
We're told that it was a three-day walk from edge to edge of the city, and Jonah walked one whole day before he began his proclamation. This is where our anti-hero makes the right choice. This is where Captain Jack Sparrow shows that he's on William Turner's side. This is where Walter White saves Jesse Pinkman. This is where Han Solo comes back and saves Luke. I promise that's the last Star Wars reference. We are all anti-heroes. I love the George R.R. Martin quote that I put on the front of the bulletin, which he adapted from Mary McCarthy, quote, We are the heroes of our own story. But I think the truth is closer to we want to be the heroes of our own story, but we're actually anti-heroes. We're flawed. We're bullheaded. We're dramatic, sometimes selfish, sometimes self-loathing. We don't always stick to perfect moral codes. We're anti-heroes. But that gives us the opportunity to have those kind of redemptive moments. Those moments when we do choose the right thing. Those moments when we save our friends, come back and help, go into a city that is known for violent, violence and speak truth to power. When we see a hero do this, we think, well, of course they do that. Of course Superman's going to save the day. But there is genuine worry, genuine doubt about whether or not the anti-hero will do the right thing. These moments of redemption are actually moments of improvement. We show who we are capable of being. And this is the true emotional power behind anti-heroes. The ability to better ourselves, the ability to learn and grow and change. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't take this story just a little bit deeper. Not just because I want to show Alex that he's not the only one who can do historical critical work, but also because doing so changed this whole story for me. Jonah is the actual name of an Old Testament prophet, and he's referenced in 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 25, where it says that the Lord spoke by, or through, his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-hefer. So that would put Jonah's lifetime around 786 BCE to, 700, or to 746 BCE. The book of Jonah, however, was written in the later post-exilic era, meaning the 5th century BCE. This is confirmed through internal evidence in the book of Jonah itself, Nineveh being the capital of Assyri the Assyrian Empire and Nineveh having a king are those clues. With all of that said, and are you impressed, with all of that said, <laughs> this points to Jonah, instead of being a retelling of historical events, being a story with a moral message for God's people. And that message is revolutionary. Now, we might miss this because we tend to take the Bible as one whole book informing itself, instead of the 66 separate books that all need their space for breath and movement. But the book of Jonah has a prophet of God speaking not to God's chosen people, but to others, to outsiders, to aliens, to oppressors, 
This is unheard of in the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, God is concerned with Israel and Israel alone, it seems. God sends Abraham to a new land to become the grandfather of Israel. God saves the Israelites from slavery. God leads the Israelites to the promised land. God helps the Israelites kick out the original inhabitants of the promised land. God sends kings and judges and prophets all to help guide the Israelites. And then here, in four tiny chapters, written not as history but as our story, we have a book where suddenly God is concerned with someone not named Israel. One of the reasons scholars believe that Jonah was written in the later exilic era, meaning later in their exile, is because around that time, a large contingent of Jews returning from exile held narrow nationalistic views and wanted to exclude Gentiles or any non-Jews from their community. Like Jonah, some Jews were not willing to share their faith with Gentiles, preferring that they be destroyed rather than saved. So what we have here is a book written to a nation of people essentially saying, hey, you need to change your views on outsiders. Now, some of you aren't with me yet, so I'm going to say it again. The book of Jonah is written to a nation of people who think that they are more special than others, and it's reminding them that God loves all people, including the alien. Now, I'm going to break this down one more time in case anyone in the back hasn't heard me. This group of people believed that their nation was the most important, not just in their eyes, but in God's eyes. And maybe they thought that God had blessed only them. Maybe they wrote songs about it. This group of people who were benefiting from these perceived blessings had done nothing to earn them, but were just born in to them. They needed reminding from God's prophetic word that the outsider, the stranger, the immigrant had as much claim on that promise, as much claim on God's heart as they did. You see, in stark contrast to our anti-hero Jonah, our hero, God, desires to be in relationship with all people, forgive all people, love all people. It is only when we decide that we know best that that plan goes awry, when we decide who is and who is not worthy, when we decide who is to be loved and who is unlovable, when we decide who deserves forgiveness and who does not deserve forgiveness, that is when we are standing in opposition position of God. The book of Jonah is a protest against nationalism, against drawing lines and saying who is and who isn't worthy. The book of Jonah is about seeing others the way God sees them. No one is beyond redemption, everyone is worthy of love, and no one should get to decide who is and who isn't part of the family. The book of Jonah informs our hearts if we allow it. May we allow it to inform us so that we can see through the eyes of God today, tomorrow, and forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org. For more information on service times, directions, 
and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.